Alright, we'll go ahead and take your Bibles this evening and go to Romans chapter 7. I've got a lot I want to try to cover tonight in Romans chapter 7. Having a full understanding of this chapter is very important to just really, I think, putting all of uh, Romans, at least when it comes to salvation, together. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about exactly what Paul has been preaching about salvation. And obviously, when you state certain truths, it causes objections. There are just reasonable objections people might get when you bring up certain truths like a completely free salvation, one that is completely eternal that you can't possibly lose. It causes people to have some questions. And that's that's fine. That's normal. And Paul, he's answering all these objections. And he's just showing how it all fits. It all makes sense. It's all logical. And while chapter 7 is, there's definitely some good, feel-good passages in here that are pretty popular. Um, I do think there's certain aspects of Romans 7 that's often ignored that if people focused on them, I think it would really clear a lot of things up when it comes to all things salvation. And so hopefully uh, we can cover this tonight in a way that will make the whole chapter crystal clear to everybody. I do remember when I started the church, it was really it was kind of weird. I talked to so many people when I was out knocking doors who was bringing up the, uh, you know, the things that I you know, would not, that I do. It was like, that was like, everybody was preaching that during that time. They were all preaching that section. The problem was they were kind of turning it into like just this feel good passage. And then, you know, and there's a feel good element to it, but they were kind of missing the point at the same time too. And it was just, it was weird how many people I talked to in a short time that was all bringing that up and they weren't all from the same church. It was like whoever gets people their sermons or whatever, they're all getting it from the same place. So it's kind of interesting, but uh, I do want to try to cover this entire chapter tonight and get what we need to get from it. So notice verse one, know ye not brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And this verse is important to understand because notice that phrase that's in parentheses where he says, for I speak to them that know the law. So he's kind of making a comparison. He's kind of illustrating something here that the Jewish people among them are going to understand they're going to be able to relate to because there are things in the Bible that, that are mentioned where understanding the manners and customs of that day, it can give some clarity to what's being expressed. And sometimes people just they take phrases from the Bible and they just make it mean whatever they want it to mean. It's like, no, it meant something very specific. And it still means, it means the same thing today that it meant back then. And so the, so there are concepts that can be a little foreign to us today. And even then, there, cause there, even then there were things that were very different about the Gentiles uh, versus the Jews. And so what Paul's doing here is he's helping them understand some spiritual truths by comparing them to some earthly things that they could relate to. And so it mentions how the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And then he says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, 
though she be married to another man. Okay? And obviously this concept here is not foreign to us as Christians, but to just modern Americans today, this is probably a little foreign to them because we do understand that a woman is under the authority of her husband. And we don't apologize for that here. That's just biblical. Okay? And so just like a woman is bound to the law of her husband, meaning he is in charge, he is the one that's in authority. If a woman is married to a man, she does not have the freedom to go follow another law of another man. She's not free to do that. If she does, and if she goes and she marries another man, you know what she'll be called? She'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free. She's loosed from that law of her husband, and she is free to marry another or free to go under someone else's law, you could say. And so we at least still have this custom in our Christian culture today, but it's going away in the American culture, where even if you're married, you can do what you want. And if your husband doesn't like it, you know, she can go divorce him and a judge is going to side with her pretty much any time. So verse four, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So understand that we no longer are bound to the law it, because it died through the body of Christ. And so if I die, my wife, biblically, technically and everything, she could still choose to follow whatever rules I had for her, but she doesn't really have to. Okay, And, and the truth is, if she wanted, she would be able to marry another, but then follow his rules instead. And so because we are saved and because of Jesus Christ, you know, condemned, you know, he fulfilled the law, he condemned sin in the flesh because he did all these things. We are loosed from the law by Christ. And what it's saying here, this is not showing how great the law is just not something we need to worry about anymore. No, it's showing that we've been loosed from that. And so now we can follow Christ. We don't have to be bound to the law and understand the law is a curse on us. The law is bad for us because it condemns us. We're, and we'll, we'll see that here in a little bit. But the thing is, because of what Christ did for us, you know, we're no longer obligated. You know, we don't have to live in that condemnation. We don't have to deal with those things. We are free to follow to follow after Christ and be married to another. Now, what does that mean exactly? And it's important that we get this because people can take certain aspects of this and just kind of teach a lascivious Christianity, and that's not what Paul's doing here at all. And we'll show we'll, we'll see that as we go. And so, because we're saved, we're loosed from the law by Christ. We have the ability to follow Christ. We don't have to serve sin. He's continuing the thought from Romans chapter six. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, you don't have to continue in sin. Not going to re-preach last week when we went through chapter 6, but you don't have to sin. You're probably going to. But thankfully, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You're not going to go to hell, but you don't have to sin. And people act like sometimes, I, I, I couldn't help it. You know, I, I, I couldn't help it. I had to sin. No, you didn't. You, know, you hear about people always falling into sin. I just heard somebody today talking about preachers falling into sin, like falling into adultery. It's like, 
You know, like it was just an accident, like they tripped and fell into a ditch. It's like, no, there's some things you don't fall into. Okay, obviously, and you know, and the thing is too, you know, even if we do use that term "fall in," there's still consequences, and they're severe. And you didn't, you didn't have to do that. So notice what it says in verse five: For when ye were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. We saw that. So all those things that you were doing in the flesh, what did you get out of it? Death. What did you get from it? Condemnation. That's all our flesh is capable of gaining is death. That's all, that's all we can do. The law condemned us. It beat us down because of our flesh. No son of Adam has ever gotten victory, total victory, a, a victory that's satisfying to a holy God over the flesh. No son of Adam's ever done it. And just understand right now, when you sin, you know who's sinning? That which was born of Adam is sinning. And just like we saw in chapter 5, you know, we're, we're condemned. That death has passed upon all men. Now that which is born of God, your spirit, that doesn't sin. But that which is born of Adam sins. Verse 6, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And if I may briefly explain what this means, I believe I think I preached a whole sermon on this verse one time. But let me illustrate it this way. Let's suppose we have a list of rules up here, like the Ten Commandments. Okay? And if I disobey any of those Ten Commandments, I'm going to go to hell. Okay? Let's just say that that's what we have. If I have to live the rest of my life with the threat of hell hanging over me, if I do not obey those Ten Commandments, not only is my life going to be very unpleasant, but it's going to end disastrously. Because you know what? We all break the commandments. We all do that. So that's not good. So the thing is, you know, pretend there's Ten Commandments hanging right here next to me. Those things become a curse to me. Now, don't get me wrong. The Ten Commandments are good. The Ten Commandments are holy and they're just. But if those Ten Commandments, if that is my law, if that's what I have to do in order to make it to heaven, that becomes a curse to me. That is, that is bondage for me. That is, that is condemnation, destruction. And not only is my life going to stink, but it's going to end disastrously. I'm going to hell. That's what Israel should have understood when God gave them the Ten Commandments. So we're in trouble. But... They were pretty self-righteous. So, but now that I am saved, now that the law has no power over me, now that those, those Ten Commandments, they can't kill me. They can't take me to hell. Right? Does that mean now, hey, I'm going to go break all those rules now. No, that, no, we shouldn't do that. But I now have the ability to follow Christ. Because I know, I know Christ likes those Ten Commandments. I know He wants to follow me those Ten Commandments. But now I'm free to do my best without the fear of condemnation. Like the song says, it can't be no condemnation, now I dread. Does that mean we're not sinners anymore? No, but we don't fear condemnation. Why? We're able to boldly approach the throne. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt for us. And so now I can still follow those Ten Commandments but I can do it with joy instead of fear. I can do it 
knowing that even in areas where I mess up, even in an area, if I, if I even break one of those things in my heart, in the eyes of a holy God, that's a sin. But in any area where I come short of those commandments, grace does much more abound. That is a much better way to live. Not only is that going to give me freedom, but it's also going to have a fantastic result because I'm going to go to heaven. And I think a good way to explain what Jesus did is say, well, that, you know, that doesn't seem right. That seems like that's just going to cause more sin in the world. Actually, I don't think it will. Because imagine right now if I was to just set a 12-foot 2x4 right there on the floor. Okay? How many think you could probably walk across a 12-foot 2x4 without falling off? Okay? I think I could do it. But what if we put it over a 1,000-foot skyscraper? I mean, I'd be terrified. And we probably would fall off. Because, see, the thing is, it's not that bad doing something like that when there's no fear of death, there's no fear of injury. But if, we, if we're doing that same thing with the fear of death, if we mess up, we are dead, that's going to actually make, that's gonna mess us up. What is it that everybody always says? Don't look down. Because right? it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your head. I mean, it's, just, it's a two-by-four. You ought to be able to walk across that. But when the, when the threat of messing up is death, it's going to be harder, and I believe we can do better. I, I believe we will do better without the fear of condemnation. We definitely will be able to do it with, with a better heart, with a heart of love. If I, have to, if I have to obey those Ten Commandments so I can go to heaven, I'm not doing it because I love God. I'm doing it because I'm scared. I'm doing it because I love me. I'm doing it because I don't want to go to hell. But when God gives us that, uh, when, not, when God gives us that free gift of salvation, you know, we can just do it out of love for him. And then not only that, he also gives us the Holy Spirit that actually enables us to actually do right sometimes, even though we still get in the flesh a lot. And so all these things Paul's been saying here, it makes the law sound pretty bad, doesn't it? I mean, he's making it like it's almost like it's a bad husband, <laughs> pretty much. But look what it says in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So yes, you would think that Paul's saying that the law is bad, but no, the law is good. The problem is that good law is just bad for us because we're so bad. There's nothing wrong. There, you know, there's nothing wrong with the law of God. It's a good, holy, just law. There's, there's nothing negative we can say about it, but... That law, we understand, shows us just how sinful we are. Death would still be upon us without the law. And we saw that in Romans chapter 5. But the law made it easier to see our need for a Savior. Because remember all those things that Paul said. He said, you know, because of Adam's sin. Talk about death passing on all men. Even those who had not committed the same sin. I, I'm not quoting that exactly right. But death still reigned from Adam to Moses. People were still dying in their sin. That death passed on all men. So the truth is, one way or the other, even if there was no law of God, we would still go to hell. Because Adam sinned and death passed on all men and we would have sinned too. We would have deserved it. But the law actually enabled us to see our need. Yeah, turn to uh, verse 13 of Romans 5. It says, For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned 
at the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And so just understand, too, people that teach this original sin doctrine that, you know, and we're baptizing babies that cleanse them from Adam's sin and all that kind of stuff. You know, they don't understand just kind of the irrelevance of that, too, because of the fact we have the law now. And so there's tons of stuff that we can all be condemned for, not just Adam's sin. But at the same time, it is true. Death would still come to everybody, even without the law. So look at verse eight. And, th and this is one of the reasons, too, we do not believe uh, in baptizing babies. In fact, and we also don't believe that babies go to hell if they die without getting saved. And I believe this next passage here clears that up. And I think if people would also look at Romans 7 along with Romans 5, they wouldn't come up with this weird, extreme uh, original sin doctrine. Again, there's certain aspects of original sin I agree with, but there's a lot of stuff I disagree with. But verse 8 says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Okay? And this, this verse is so important, and it's one that always gets attacked by non-King James-only people. They're always like, you know, we need, we need to have an updated version because nobody knows what concupiscence means. And so they're always telling you, you know, how, and their Bibles always change it to things like lustful desires. Or the ESV says, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The New King James said, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Okay, and so, but concupiscence, okay, concupiscence actually expresses something that those other words do not express. And that, the, the definition of concupiscence is a longing, especially for that which is forbidden. And this is important. This is important that you understand this. Not just lustful desires. We all have lustful desires. We all have evil desires. But this concupiscence, okay, at that a longing for that which is forbidden. That explains exactly what Paul was trying to communicate here. Making a law telling us not to do something is what makes us want to do that very thing. Especially when we don't understand why. It's just like when you see something that says do not touch. You weren't thinking about touching it, but then you saw the sign that said do not touch. Now you want to touch. Why are we like that? It's just it's our evil heart. And laws actually make us not want, you know, it actually makes us want to break those things. It, it causes us to want to do these things. And so think about it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know how many trees were in the garden. Okay, Ruckmanites will tell you there were 12. I don't know where they get that from, but that's, or they'll, they'll, they'll t I think it was 12. Maybe it was seven. I can't remember. They, they'll tell you how many there are. It doesn't say in the Bible. But I'm sure there was probably a lot of trees in the garden. There's a lot of different kind of fruit in the world. And they would have had all those things. But there was one that God said they're not supposed to eat. And I don't believe, okay, this is just my opinion. I don't think there was something about that fruit that was bad or that contained this ability that if you eat it, you have this knowledge of sin. No, you don't want to know what made that tree bad. God said not to eat of it. That's why. Here, God said, don't eat that tree. 
and therefore they shouldn't do it. Okay, it's not a sin to sit in a chair, but if I tell my kids, don't sit in that chair, now it's a sin for them to sit in that chair. And you know, and if I tell my kids, you're not allowed to sit in that chair, guess where all of a sudden they're going to want to sit out of all the chairs in here? <laughs> they're, they're going to want to sit in the one that I told them not to sit in. And, and that, is just, that just shows our sinful nature. And so the sin, saying not to do something, it actually makes us want to do it. And I think this is important to understand because notice what it says in verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So just like Adam died spiritually when he ate the fruit, he did not die physically that day, but he did die spiritually that day. I believe all of us will die spiritually as well. I believe that's going to happen for everyone. This is another reason I believe babies and young children go to heaven when they die physically. I believe every child of Adam will eventually, like Adam, choose sin. I, be I believe that. And you know what will cause them to choose sin? The law will help, help that. It will provoke that. Just watch it with your little kids. Tell them not to do something. They're going to want to do it. Go put, two, you know, go put five toys on the floor. And tell them, don't play with one. And they're going to go and go play with that one. All right, it's that sin nature in them. It's, it's who we are. And the law actually makes them want to do those things. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, every, just, you know every, every human, every child of Adam will at some point die spiritually. It's going to happen. And I don't know when that moment is for people. I don't even know when that moment was for me in my life. I don't remember when the commandment came and sin slew me. I don't know that. I, 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 I couldn't tell you when that is, but you know what? Without a doubt, it happened. Without a, without a doubt, because I'm definitely a sinner. So verse 10, And the commandment, which was ordained a life, I found to be unto death. And why is it saying that? Because if a person keeps the commandments, then they would have eternal life. And this doesn't contradict what Paul said in Galatians 3.21. He said, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be unto them that believe. So when he's, in Galatians, he was just saying, Hey, if there was a law that you could have followed, then righteousness would be by the law. But you know what? There wasn't one we could have followed. Now, there is a law we could have followed. Here, here's the thing, though. It wouldn't have been a holy one. And God cannot compromise on his holiness. God can't do that. God could have just, you could say, theoretically, God could have just set the bar really low, you know, but that would have violated his holiness, and God can't do that. So you know what God did? God gave a law that was holy, and all it did was condemned us even more. But you know what? How do you get more condemned than condemned? How do you get more dead than dead? I mean, it just, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. So in reality, it was better the way God did it because of the fact that it makes it easier for us to recognize our sinful condition. And we must understand that. So because the, the only law we would have been able to keep would have been an unholy Law. And so verse 11 says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. 
So just like Adam died spiritually from violating the law of God, we all did the same thing. And again, when that was, I don't know. I don't know if any of us could track that down, but without a doubt, it happened. It happened. And our nature was so bad. You know, we were so, you know, we are, Calvinists say a lot of things that are true when they talk about the depravity of man. There's a lot of true things that they say. But it, it, but they the conclusion that they jump to, that we are so bad we were not capable of you know choosing salvation, well that's just a bit of a stretch. And even then, you know it's it's true none of us would have ever desired salvation just on our own. We desired salvation because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We desired you know through all the things that God did. Without a doubt, God had part in it. But again, they just kind of take these extremes. But again, there, there's so many things that Calvinists are really eloquent at speaking that are true. It's just frustrating because with every truth they speak, they jump to some false conclusion you know, and teach something really stupid. And that, that's what's so frustrating about Calvinists. But uh, verse 12 says, Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So the law killed us, but you know what? It was still holy. It was just, meaning we deserved it. It was good. It's like people, they get so offended at the Old Testament and all the people it says to put to death. They get so offended by that. And hey, yeah, the law condemns big time. I mean, the law nails, it, it nails all of us in reality. But at, at the same time, it's still holy. It's just and it's good. The problem that many people have, they get all offended when you start preaching about death penalty for sodomites and adulterers and murderers and all that kind of stuff. You know, they, they just get offended because of the fact that they just love their sin. They're just vile, dirty, rotten people. And what they should do, what should happen is, you know, seeing those laws, it ought to strike, cause fear to come in their heart and to recognize their sinfulness. But you know what? You want to know why so many people are struggling with these things? We don't. We we don't preach against sin. We don't talk about judgment. We don't talk about hell. That's why we don't get offended by preaching about the death penalty. So why do we get offended by that? We also teach if you just don't believe on Christ, you'll spend eternity in hell. That's you so know that's really extreme. It is extreme. It's horrible. It's. It's, ter- it's, it's a terrifying thought, but you know what? It's holy, it's just, and it's good. It's what we deserve. And so the thing is, it's hard for me to get mad at God for having such a harsh law and such an extreme penalty when I understand that Jesus came and fulfilled all those things for us. Then I, I, can't, I can't get mad at God. I can see getting mad at God if He didn't send us a Savior. But He did send us a Savior. And Jesus went and he lived a perfect life. He actually accomplished these things. He fulfilled the law. He died. He said, and I don't like hell. I think that's too extreme. Think about it. God made hell knowing that one day his son would have to go there for three days because of our sin. I mean, listen, if I knew I was going to have to pay the penalty for someone else's sin, and I am also the one who decides the penalty... I'm going to make that penalty really small. But here's the thing, though. That wouldn't be holy, would it? And so a holy God, you know what he has to do? He has to give a holy penalty 
for that sin. And you know what? We might not like it. We might not even fully understand it. But hell is the just and righteous judgment of God. And we don't have to like it. But at the same time, we need to at least acknowledge that it's good. We need to acknowledge that it's just. And that's exactly what Paul said. Paul said it's holy, it's just, and it's good. And so it says, um, was then that which is good made death unto me. Uh, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Okay, we, so we've already established from Romans 5 that, again, Adam sinned. Adam passed death on all men because of his sin. So one way, you know, we were going to go to hell whether the law comes or not. But what the law actually provided for us, it provided a clear illustration of just how bad we are. And therefore, so we would be able to understand and do what we need to do to be saved. And that's simply believe. And that is what he said. That is what he said in Galatians chapter 3. It's what he has said several times in Romans. Again, God made it easy for us to be saved. That's why we can't get mad at him. He made it so easy for us to be saved. For people to get mad at hell is in reality, for lack of a better term, stupid for them to, to do that. That doesn't make sense. You're going to get mad at God because of the, of, of the penalty of hell when he made salvation is e so easy that we're, all you have to do is believe. That doesn't make sense. I think your problem is you just don't believe the gospel. That's your problem. You just don't believe the gospel and you're trying to play on people's emotional heartstrings by talking about hell and how mean and cruel it is, knowing that people will relate with that and, and you know, probably agree with you. And, but the truth is, you can't say God's mean when he made it so easy. And so that law and that, that commandment, notice how it said that it, might, it made sin become exceeding sinful. And, and I've, I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again because we're preaching through Romans chapter 7. But... In certain homes, every home has different rules. And in some homes, some things are a really big deal than in other homes. And, you know, and it, growing up, I remember going over to friends' house and stuff. It was always just funny because, you know, every, my friends always thought my parents were strict. But then I would go over to their house and I would sometimes feel like their parents were strict just because they were in other areas. I remember I went to one of my friends' house one time and it was like a big deal because... After we ate cereal, I didn't drink all the milk that was in the bowl. And it was just like, I don't like drinking the milk out of the bowl. You know, and, but they're like, no, you can't waste all that milk. And that was like a big deal in that house. Well, it wasn't a big deal in my house. So I didn't care. I remember one time um, there were these people. They had just started coming to our church. I ended up becoming good friends you know, with the boys in that family. But it was like the first time we ever went out to eat with them. And we were eating in the restaurant. And all, all of a sudden, one of the boys took his straw out of the glass and flipped it over. And then both of his brothers immediately at the same time, like my, they like went and started tattling. I guess they weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> just, I mean, just like, a, just like immediately. I'm like, what in the world? And then the parents, they just kind of looked at him like, don't, don't be doing that. I don't know why that was a problem in that, but apparently that was a problem in that home. And it was a big deal. I, I, I never forgot that. 
That was just one of the weirdest things I've ever seen anybody get in trouble for. Flipping the straw in their own drink. But you know, that's that home. And so, again, you know, in, in some homes, and you've probably seen that before, where like parents will, they'll make a huge deal about something. And it's because, you know, that's something, for whatever reason, it's a parent's hobby horse, so they've just made it a big deal. And so what the law did, the law made sin a bigger deal. That way we wouldn't think, ah, who cares? Oh, we don't need a Savior. No, the law shows us how much we need a Savior. The law shows us just how many things are against us and how different we are from God. It reveals not only our sinfulness, but it helps us understand the holiness of God. When you go and you read that Old Testament law and you understand Jesus did all of those things, that shows you how holy he is. If we do not, if we do not have that law, then all of that is just kind of irrelevant to us. And it doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. But understand, we only have, the Bible only records a short portion of Jesus' life. But when you go back and you read the Old Testament, you read all those laws, and then you think about Jesus and that he did that for 33 years, that tells us something about him. And it just, it makes it, again, we keep, I'm going to keep using this word, it makes it easy for us to understand that we're sinful. And again, and God made it easy for us to be saved. Thank, thank God for that. So all of this was for us. All of this was, for, was our, for our benefit. But some people are so carnal, it's like, oh man, that law just ruins all my fun. Well, the thing is, yeah, you might have had a little bit of fun on this earth, but you wouldn't have been, you, it, it's not worth it if you're going to spend eternity in hell. You know what? Thank God he gave us a holy law. And yes, the holy law ruins our fun, but that holy law shows us our need for a Savior and makes it easy for us to understand what we need to know in order to be saved because God wants people to go to heaven. God wants people to go to heaven. He didn't even spare his own son. He's done everything he can possibly do, but we've got to believe on him. So remember, we already saw that death and sin were in the world because of Adam's transgression, so man was already doomed. The law made sin appear even worse. And not worse than it actually was, but just made it, uh, it, it showed us a more accurate version of what it is. And we needed that so we would understand our sinful condition in the eyes of a holy God. And sadly, many religious people struggle seeing themselves worthy of hell. That was the problem the Jews had. The Jews had a real problem with that. And Paul's going to deal with that in a little bit where he talks about how they fell because of the fact they tried to obtain righteousness by the works of the law. Isn't it interesting how the people who knew the law the best also didn't understand the law as much? It's really, it's, it's really astounding that they felt that way. But the law did make us more guilty. It said, all that did was brought more charges against us. But you know what? Just the charge of eating the forbidden fruit... It was enough to cause man to die and to go to hell. So, yes, the law made us guilty of more sins. But, again, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. If it were possible for God to add thousand more sins to us, then that would just mean grace would just abound that much more. So, in reality, it doesn't matter. You have no right to get mad at the law of God. The law of God is what it is. I'm sorry, but you know Leviticus 
People get offended by it. That's right. And you know what? All of all of Leviticus, the stuff about adultery, the stuff about fornication, you know, the things in the Bible about anger, all the, I mean, we all get nailed for something in the Bible, but it's all good. It, it's all good, holy, and just. God can only write that which is good and holy and just. God can only give a law that is holy and just. So verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. In fact, there's no such thing as a Christian who isn't a carnal Christian and who doesn't need grace every day. And that's something people need to get a hold of. And you know, there's no such thing as a saved person whose sin can outdo the grace of God. It's another thing everybody needs to understand. And, 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 I, and I understand what people are trying and miserably failing to say. When they say there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, what they're trying to say is, you know, you can't just sin and just go out on shooting sprees and, you know, and, and I understand what they're trying to say. Obviously, there are things that we do not expect a Christian to do. Obvious and, and understand, too, one thing, multiple things people don't factor in when they talk about eternal security, free salvation, all this stuff. They don't factor in the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does influence. He does affect us. They don't factor in the fact that we become God's children and God does deal with his children. They don't factor those things in. Okay? And I don't know how, when, what, where, what God's going to do with his children. But he is going to deal with them. And so what we should never do is just get in God's business and decide when God should punish somebody, how God should punish somebody. We don't need to get in God. That's God's business. And that obviously there are going to be people who profess the right gospel and are lying and they don't really believe it. And so there could be people out there going on shooting sprees and doing all that stuff that are claiming to be saved and they're not. But, you know, what? I'm not going to change the gospel to figure out how they're not still saved because of because of sin. Because, again, so if, if we decide, well, a Christian can't go on a shooting spree, well, then can a Christian, you know lose their temper and beat somebody up? Can a Christian cuss? You know, can a Christian, you know, where do we draw the line on this stuff? Either way you spin it, all of the law is good, all of it's holy, all of it's just, and all of us sin. And Paul already established earlier that, you know what, if, we're go if, if you're going to keep the law for salvation, then you have to keep all of it. And if you're going to use the law to prove that you're saved, then you got to keep all of it. Same logic. Same consistency. So, Pastor me, what are you going to do if somebody professes faith in Christ and in the right gospel and they're committing all these horrible sins? I'm not going to do anything. That's not my job. It's God's job to do that. If they Obviously, if somebody in our church commits some kind of sin that the Bible says ought to get them thrown out, we'll throw them out of the church. But at the end of the day, it's God's job to deal with His children. And, and if they... Well, and, and it's, it's not up to me to figure out and accurately label everyone saved and lost. I'm not the one that's going to put the mark of God on people's forehead. And I'm not the one, I'm not the one who decides those things. So I'm going, to pre, I'm going to keep preaching salvation exactly the way we do it. And if there's somebody out there that's just a really, 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 really bad example or whatever, you know what? It's, that's God's. If, if they're His, He can deal with them. If they're not His, you know, then it'll be manifest at least on Judgment Day. But in the meantime, the, God, the Bible says what the Bible says. 
And so there is no such there there is such a thing as a carnal Christian. In fact, there's no such thing as a Christian who isn't carnal and in need of grace every day. So verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. And what Paul is saying right here, I'm afraid, is a foreign concept to a lot of Christians because they do take advantage of the grace. Many Christians are taking advantage of the grace of God and then they wonder why their life stinks. Listen, you know, Paul wanted to live a life that was without sin. There are so many verses that we could go to just showing Paul's desire to be godly, to be like Christ. Paul said that it was his goal to apprehend that for which he was apprehended in Christ. You know what we have been apprehended for in Christ? Righteousness, holiness. Okay, and Paul didn't, Paul said, I've not attained it. I've not attained to the resurrection of the dead, but that's what I'm shooting for. Paul did not have this attitude. You know what? Yeah, I've got some sins, but grace has got it covered. No, Paul wanted to get, Paul wanted to be like Christ in, in, in this day, in his spirit. And Paul was somebody who walked in the spirit, wanted to do these, these things right. That was a desire that was in him that Paul followed after. But you know what? Most Christians today... They are, they're fine with just taking advantage of the grace of God. They don't have a desire to live holy. They don't have a desire to be righteous and to keep the commands of God. They're not even thinking about that. They just pick and choose what they like from the Bible, and then they wonder why their life stinks. Pastor Tom, I just don't understand why I'm struggling so much spiritually. I'm hardly ever at church. I hardly ever read my Bible. I hardly do anything God says to do. But it's like, uh, yeah, so you think, too, because you got, and you listen, it's like because we got salvation for free. We think everything's free. But no, being a disciple, boy, you know, that's that's a challenge. I mean, being a disciple, that's a sacrifice. And let me tell you something too. Living godly, it, you know, there there's some challenges, but there are some rewards with it and living sinful on this earth on this earth has consequences. Thankfully, we don't have eternal consequences, but there are earthly consequences for sinning. And let me tell you, it's frustrating because I have, I have people that have reached out to me. I have people that talk to me on a regular basis, and they, they want to tell them about all these problems. Like they want me to give them some magic speech that's going to make all their problems go away. And at the same time, too, I'm not allowed to tell them what they're doing wrong. And that's not fair. Listen, that's not fair. I don't care how many Hollywood movies you've seen. But let me tell you, you're not just going to walk in my office. And hear me just say some real eloquent phrase. And an orchestra is going to start playing in the background. Inspirational music is going to happen. And then you're just going to leave floating out of the office just enlightened and just ready to go take on the world. That's not how it works. That's how it happens in the movies. They give, you know, The guy gives this really emotional line. That's what we would all love to hear. And then there's happy music. And then they walk outside and butterflies fly around. And then everything works out in that person's life. That's the way it works on Christian movies. That's not the way it works in real life. You know what's, here, here's what's, here's what's going to happen in real life if I'm actually going to help you. I'm going to tell you all the areas where you stink. And you're going to feel like trash. 
and you're probably going to get upset. But you know what? If you can do the right thing and take it and deal with it and then follow it, it'll change your life for the good. I had to tell somebody recently, you know, they don't go to church or anything, but I said, you know, there's no point in talking to you if you're not going to do anything I tell you to do. I just, I, you know, I don't have time to just get, give everybody that wants it free therapy sessions where I just make them feel good about things. I'll tell them, if you want to come talk to me, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've already told you before. If you have absolutely no desire to do these things, then there's just no point in us talking. But Christians, for some reason, they think they can just do whatever they want and everything should be great. No, that's not how it works. You need to start living for God. You need to start being obedient to the Word of God. And you need to realize that in your flesh dwells no good thing. And Paul, he was trying to figure out how to perform that which was good. The problem with a lot of Christians today, they're trying to figure out how they can perform that which is evil and not have their conscience bother them, not have the Holy Spirit convict them. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. You need to start doing the right thing. So we've got, we've got to get over this. You know, we should be looking for that blessed hope. The blessed hope is not an imminent rapture that will come before your bills are due on Friday. The blessed hope is a promise of a changed body, a body that is without sin, People used to desire righteousness. But today, Christians just don't care. That's, I'm telling you, that's a foreign attitude to what we see in the Bible. So Paul goes on to say, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Understand this. And again, I'm I'm planning on preaching on this real soon. There are three parts to us. We have the flesh and it is bad. It is sorry. We have the spirit. It's born of God. It's something that was brought to life when we got saved. It cannot sin. It's good. But then we have our soul. We have our mind. We have our emotions. And our soul, it's kind of where we're making our decisions and things. And often, we let our soul follow after the things of the flesh. Our mind after the things of the flesh rather than the things of the spirit. We've got a lot of people today, they are acting and making decisions based on how they feel. Well, understand, that's not always going to be a good thing because your soul is not saved either. Your soul has the promise of salvation, but in your heart and in your mind, listen, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. In, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, are you listening to the Spirit or are you listening to the flesh. And let me tell you, our flesh, our heart, it's deceitful. And so you could feel great about something and it still not be of God. You know why? Because you're following after the flesh. You're giving your flesh what it wants. But with the spirit, okay, but, and that's why we've got to feed the spirit. That's why we've got to learn to walk in the spirit. That's why we've got to learn the word of God. Because you want to know how God speaks to our spirit? Through his word. 
We have something. This is why it's so important to have a Bible. This is why it's so important to have a King James Bible, to have a Bible that's right, that's accurate, because the Spirit of God that is within us, it will always agree with the Word of God. It will, it will always agree with the Word of God. And so we have, a, we have that direct connection. And, we, and we've always got to make sure that the Spirit that's in us lines up with the Word of God. God speaks to us through the Word of God. But you know what? Unfortunately, people are hearing things from all over the world. There's a lot of philosophy and vain deceit that's out there. There are the things of the flesh that people are pushing. And we can let our mind and our heart and our soul gravitate towards those things. And it will lead you in the wrong way. And let me tell you, every time you follow after the things of the flesh, you're being deceived. You, you want to know why? I've got to fight with people and argue with people about actually being obedient to the Scripture because they are being deceived by their flesh. doesn't matter what I show them in the Scripture. It doesn't matter that a, that a grown, able-bodied man suffering from depression who will not go out and get a job. It doesn't matter I can show him the Bible. Six days shalt thou labor. It doesn't matter that I show him. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Listen, you are not going to be happy as a man if you're just lazy and being good for nothing. It's just not. It can't happen. And and unfortunately, because people are so focused on their flesh and pleasing their flesh and giving their flesh they want, they are being deceived. And they're and they're just like, no, you can't tell me I have to go get a job. You can't tell me I need to work. You think that because you are not listening to the Spirit. If you were listening to the Spirit, it's going to agree with the Word of God every time. But you're listening to your flesh right now. You're listening to all the people out there. I mean, we've got our our society today, young people. I mean, they feel like they should be able to retire at 22. I mean, they feel like they shouldn't. You know, it's like forced labor to have to go get a job and pay bills. I mean, just the mentality today is astounding. It is amazing how much people expect to get paid for such little work. It's absolutely revolting. And so you've got the worldly wisdom out there telling you that, but it's a lie. But the spirit of the, the word of God is always going to tell you something different. So it's important we understand how all those things work, and we understand that difference between body, soul, and spirit. And what all of us need to learn how to do is to follow the inward man. That's what desires the law of God. But this flesh desires the things of the flesh, and it's deceiving you. It's deceiving you. It thinks you will be better off and be happier and have more pleasure if you watch TV instead of reading your Bible. It, it, it makes you think you will be happier and more fulfilled if you spend time entertaining yourself rather than going to church and going soulening and doing all the things that a Christian ought to do. You're, you're being deceived by those things. And people want preachers that will play along with the deception. I'm not playing along with that. I don't play pretend. I don't pretend boys or girls, and I don't pretend carnal Christians who are just following after things of the flesh are going to be happy. No, your life's going to stink. You're going to be miserable. You're going to regret it. So understand, if we were to walk in the Spirit, we are capable of doing great things for God, all of us, but you have to want it. You have to want it. So he goes on verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And one of the greatest truths that you can get a hold of is the fact 
your flesh will never want to do right. Your flesh will always be tempted to sin. And sadly, many young people often question their salvation because they're struggling with temptation. But being saved will not make that go away. But being saved will give you the ability to overcome that temptation. But you've got to follow the Word of God. You've got to walk in the Spirit. Otherwise, you're just going to keep being deceived by the things of the flesh. It's going to deceive you. It's just, it deceives you every time. And it's amazing to me, all the people that I have known, preacher's kids, that were raised just like me, went to Christian schools or homeschooled, raised independent fundamental Baptists. They had the standards. They weren't allowed to do anything. You know, They had all those things. And they did. They were just convinced that they were being held out on. And what do they do as soon as they grow up? They start going after all those things that were forbidden to them. They go after all those things. And you know what? It's never enough. You know, typically what I see when a, when a kid, a Baptist brat, an independent fundamental Baptist, when they get to that age and they start chasing after all those pleasures that they were denied growing up, you know, typically they end up worse than most lost people in just a short time. I mean, they just go crazy with it. And I, I think part of that, too, is just God judging them uh, when, when they do that kind of thing. And it's just it's devastating what happens. I mean, I've seen Christian people make lost people blush with the way, you know, with the way that they act. They're so bad. And. I think it's just an absolute shame and it just shows the deception. And so all of us need to regularly renew our mind in this area and try to get close to God so we will desire to be like Christ. And we can do it with God's help. But if we live for the flesh, it will never happen. So we should all just do whatever it takes every day to crucify the flesh, walk after the inward man. So when Paul said, O wretched man that I am, everybody needs to see themselves is that way. These repent of sins clowns that are out there need to start seeing themselves as a wretched man in their sanctified state that they are acting like they're in. While they are looking down their noses at those who have not gotten certain victory over the flesh in certain areas, they need to see themselves like the Apostle Paul did. He saw himself as a wretched man, and that's what we all are. And so Paul, again, he is just... He's showing a consistency here. He's kind, of, he's kind of dealing with objections. And what he's now doing in chapter 7 is he is showing us now that we're saved, now that you know, all the, our, our sins have been cleansed and forgiven, that you know, don't look at the law as something that, okay, let's just forget about it now. No, let's now look at it, but in a new and a different way, with the renewed spirit. Let's look at it now as guidance for us, always understanding that grace is going to be there every time we fail. Don't ever get the idea that you're actually keeping the law. But just, but at the same time, let it motivate you to be more like Christ. And you know what? Don't, and don't get satisfied with where you're at. Don't get satisfied with that. No, keep on striving. Keep on moving forward. And you say, well, I don't know. I think if I go the rest of my life keeping most of the commandments, I'm going to be better than 99% of the people on this earth. Yeah, but you know what? That 1% that you're going to sacrifice on purpose, did you know you're being deceived in that? Anybody, anybody like getting tricked? Anybody like getting deceived? Listen, I don't even want to be deceived if you're like, you know, guess which hand? I, I, don't, like, I don't like that. And any area 
where you just give yourself to the things of the flesh, you're being deceived. It's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. So you know what? Let's just recognize what we are and learn to walk in the Spirit and follow the Spirit. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for this cha- wonderful chapter and the, and the encouragement we can get from it. Lord, help us not to use this chapter as a way to just you know feel good about our sinfulness, but let it just be a motivator for us to walk in the Spirit and get as close to you as possible. And I pray you'll give us victory. In your name we pray. Amen.